Amen. Please be seated. So how many of you have read, I'm not looking for a show of hands, by the way. Um, how many of you have read the book of Leviticus? Um, okay. Um, how many of you have tried to read the book of Leviticus? Um, there we go. So the, the more hands there. You know, that, that sort of, you know, many of you have probably, um, in a very well-intentioned way, uh, tried the Bible in a, in a year plan. And typically Leviticus is where those, well, those good intentions go to die. Um, when, I, when, I, when I talk with people, it's usually Leviticus. They, they're like, well, maybe not tonight. Uh, and, then, and, then, and then it sort of goes off the radar. But it's a, it's, a, it's a strange book to read. It's strange to our ears. There's lots of repetitive details in the book of Leviticus uh, about ancient ritual. There, there are um, verses about scaleless fish, about different threads of vestments, and you know, and the most tragic thing is that you can't eat oysters. And for somebody who loves oysters, um, it's just hard to read. Um, you know, um, there's, they're there for you to enjoy, but um, but it's, um, but, but it's always, you know, there's always things to do other than read the book of Leviticus. You know, it's usually that, that you know, that Monarch Godzilla series comes on. It's like, well, I'll watch that instead of reading the, the book of Leviticus. Um, but I want to talk about it a little bit and, and maybe try to demystify it some. And, um, and, you know, embedded within the book of Genesis and its mystery and its sort of very foreign and strange context lies uh, the beating heart of the gospel, the beating heart of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to try to get there in the sermon. So this book, Leviticus, is written a month after the construction of the tabernacle in Exodus. And the tabernacle, of course, is the precursor to the temple. It is the place where God would reside as the people um, made their way to the promised land and finally into it. And Leviticus is a deep commentary of religious demands, of very particular um, contextual religious demands of the theocracy, of the ancient theocracy of Israel. And, um, and also ethical demands that, uh, that transcend context. Um, you find those as well, and that's one of the things that you do in Leviticus is you try to pick those apart. Leviticus uh, is in the Pentateuch, which is the first five books of the Bible, it is the third, and the Pentateuch has one simple summary. If, you, if, if you're reading through the Pentateuch and you want to know why all of this is here, um, there is one simple summary, and it's, and it's a summary if you've ever heard of the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, strength, and mind, and your neighbor as yourself. That is the Shema. You will hear that recited in many synagogues. But that is also the summary of the Pentateuch. And what does that mean? It means there is one creator God, Elohim, who is the God of Israel, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Yahweh. Elohim is Yahweh. There is one God, 
one creator God who created it all. And he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. That is what, that is the arc of the Pentateuch. That is what the Pentateuch is trying, it is a theological argument. It is a theological um, polemic against the sort of um, anthropomorphic foreign gods and the, the, the capricious foreign gods and the ones who thrive off of chaos. Um, it, is, it is a very, very distinct um, treatise on the one true God within the Near Eastern world. And that is what it's trying to get at. In Israel, is to reflect God's holiness in being a priest to the nations. That is what um, this is trying to get across here. And what that means is that Israel is called to mediate God's nature. Israel is to mediate God's revelation to the nations, to the Gentiles. And so Leviticus deals with the priesthood because it deals with the human divine relationship. That's what a priest does. A priest intercedes or the priest mediates between God and man. And, um, and that's really important um, because it's very clear that, um, and, and, and it brings up a, a, a powerful question, how can a sublimely holy God, and he is sublimely holy. You remember, um, when, as, as he is interacting with Moses, he, you cannot see my face and live, he said. And, and, and even, even the, the incarnate Christ in, in, in Revelation, um, the, the one John, when he comes before him, falls down in fear from the holiness of Christ. And of course, Christ says, arise and fear not but that has to be said because God is sublimely holy how can a sublimely holy God be in covenant with sinful people and that is how the covenant is mediated through a priest through this system through the sacrificial system and this is sort of where I want to live this morning it's not going to be too long but, but, but I want to I wanna sort of live there this morning. Now, the speech here, this is a speech, and the speech begins a sermon. It begins like the Ten Commandments, and, and it is a commentary on the Ten Commandments. And it begins with verse 2. Um, Speak to all the congregation of the people of Israel and say to them, You shall be holy, for I, the Lord your God, am holy. It speaks to that. Um, that is where um, it begins there. It speaks of worship, and it speaks of the holiness of God, and worship as a reflection of the holiness of God. And then it goes to how holiness manifests itself with ethics with your neighbor. So how does that, how does, how does, the, how does the nature of God affect your interaction with your neighbor? And of course, we got into this in the New Testament, this big debate on who neighbor is, but we can, we can talk about that later. And of course, the, the natural projection, God is holy, you belong to God, therefore reflect him. And the reminder after every command is, I am the Lord, I am the Lord, I am Yahweh, I am the Lord, the name of God, the God of covenant, 
That's what Yahweh is. Yahweh is a very particular description, a Hebrew description, a God who, who is in covenant with man. That is the, that is the, that is the, uh, the um, what Yahweh means. And, and so we're in covenant. He's an imminent God, meaning he is a close God. He is a near God. And yet he is holy. And so Moses goes on to describe a society that reflects the nature of God. It is a just society based on God's truth. And that's one thing that we need to keep in mind, we all need to keep in mind, is that you know sometimes it's easy to think of, of, of justice and sort of attach it to one particular um, group of people's definition of what is just. We're not talking about the war between whatever different people think is just. We're talking about um, God's truth how he describes what truth is. Objective truth, big O, big T. And it turns out that it's a compassionate society. It doesn't penalize success, but it urges the successful to offer the less successful a hand and help. It makes provision for neighbors. It keeps the dignity of work. It is a society, and we're talking about God's society according to his justice, with no deceit, no cruelty or corruption, an impartial society. And it goes on to speak to the individual. There's no hating, no grudge bearing, no vengeance. It is a loving way of connecting with one another. And it sounds like a wonderful charge to Israel. It sounds like a wonderful society to live in. But here's the problem. The problem is the all-permeating problem of human sin. That's, that's always been the issue. You know, you read the, 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 of, of them in the wilderness, you read of the period of judges, you read about the monarchy, the exile, you go all through, and you see more of Israel's inability to be holy than you see of their ability. And it's really not even close. There are periods of reformation there are periods of revival but they're very small most of it has to do with their inability and it all has to do with what we inherit as human beings you know um, we need to be Lord that, that is what that is what we that, that is how we go about life we just we want to decide what is good we want to decide what is bad. And we have an allergy to someone else being in char charge and abiding by the rules. I mean, that's, that's, that's what sin is. Um, sin isn't don't drink, smoke, or chew, or go with girls. That's not, you know, I, I, I was sort of raised in that world a little bit, and, and there's some truth to that. But, but, it's, but, 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 but that's, not the, that's not the nature of sin. That is not the, 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 the locus of sin. The locus of sin is that I want to be God. And I want to determine for myself what is good and what is bad. And we trust in ourselves in doing so. And God here is asking us to transfer that faith to him. And we don't. That's, that's the problem. And unfortunately, everything unwinds. It unwinds a wonderful society, a relationship with God. 
we create other priests because we, we want other things, right? We, we, want, so we, we have our other priest. You know, when I, when I um, worked, when I wanted to get a job, I, I had to go interview. And, um, and, and of course, you know, one's, one's job can be one's, uh, what, what gives one um, uh, identity and worth and value, right? Is that, I mean, is that, I mean, that, that's, I mean, that, that's said so much as a cliche, but it, it's a cliche because it's so true. So who, who is my mediator there? Well, the one I'm interviewing with, my boss, whatever. So, so, so we have priests, right? We have priests in different places. Um, but they're according to what we want. It, we're, they're according to what we decide give, decides gives us other foundations of authority, in other words. Um, and so we, uh, but we underestimate sin. We always do. We underestimate sin within ourselves. We underestimate our fallen conditions. And that's why utopian experiments fail. They all fail because of that particular thing. And, and, and they, much, they make things much worse. You know, breaking eggs, right? You, you gotta break eggs to make an omelet? Who was that, linen? Um, well, that's kind of a heck of a thing to say. You know, that, that's, that's an easy thing to say if you're not the egg, right? If you're the one doing the breaking um, or whoever else. I mean, it could be that, it could be somebody else, whatever else. So that leaves us with a conundrum, and it's one that I talked about. If God is so sublimely holy, and he is, and his chosen nation failed so spectacularly, and they did, what possible hope can we have? Should be a question in our minds as we read Leviticus. It should be uncomfortable to read Leviticus. And I look through these demands myself. And I confess to you, I've been coarse to poor people. I've tried to leverage my influence in different areas. I've dealt falsely. I've borne grudges. I mean, I'm bearing one now. Truth be known. I've desired vengeance. And I certainly don't love others as myself. As the end of our reading says, it underlines how fall short I fall. That holiness that is stated just keeps that before me. So I'll ask again, how can someone so sublimely holy be in covenant with me? And it goes back to what Leviticus is about, holiness, mediation, all of the precision, all of the ethical and ritual purity points somewhere. It points to someone, and that someone is Jesus Christ, the one to whom the whole Old Testament points to. If you look back on the back there, you can crane your neck back and you can see those things over the three doors. You have prophet, priest, and king. Those are the types that you find in the Old Testament. You can look at them after the service is over. 
when you look through and you see prophet, priest, and king in the Old Testament, you know that it is pointing to someone, to someone. And as we look at the sublime ethical demands, the sublimely holy society that is laid before us in Leviticus, we look to Christ as our priest. That is the type that we find in Leviticus. Christ as priest, Christ as the mediator between us and God. His unspotted purity, his perfect life in thought, word, and deed, his perfect faith and deference to the Father, the unspotted lamb, the righteous one of Israel. And here's the thing. He is righteous for us. He is righteous in our place. And in his righteousness, he gives himself as an atoning sacrifice, an atoning death. He offers himself for us and in his resurrection defeats sin, death, and the devil. And why do I say all that? Why, why, am, I, why am I just just really doubling down on the holiness of God? It's because I know what you're thinking about when you wake up at 3 o'clock in the morning. You're thinking about the same thing that I am. I've heard it said, imposter syndrome. I feel like an imposter because I know what's going on in my mind. I know what's going on in my heart. I know what's going on in my spirit. And when I see the searing perfection of the law, it causes me to reach out to the perfect and sublime priest. Jesus Christ, the one who is a substitute, who performed it all for us. So when shame creeps in, when condemnation creeps in, when accusation creeps in, we know that we have a substitute. And because of that holy substitute, we stand before God, fully justified children of God, even as sinners. And when we see that the world doesn't work according to his truth, when the world doesn't work according to his justice, we look at the empty tomb and we're given that hope of the true news that he is risen and that the tomb is empty. And all that is sad, all that is frightening will be made right and every tear will be wiped from our eyes when that happens. So Leviticus, an odd book, a strange book, a book that makes one's hair stand on one's head in countenancing the holiness of God, is actually a book of hope. It is a book of God working even through sinful humanity to bring about his truth 
to bring about his justice, to bring about his healing and his comfort and his forgiveness and his love. It is an ancient book that fast forwards to now because it shows us again the Savior that he has provided for us. Amen. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and sacrifice unto God.